When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 292, and we are recording on August 3rd. Mm-hmm. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Yes, we are. And I am back from vacation. Yeah, you all maybe didn't notice or did, or I don't know, but we took last week <laughs> off <laughs> because we were in various and sundry other places that were not here. Yeah. Amanda sat on a boat. Mm-hmm. She did. And I went to Ireland, Mm -hmm. and that was actually pretty amazing. And also, like, extremely, literally everyone in Ireland follows mask protocol, which is a refreshing change of pace from the United States. So, (laughs) good job, Ireland. Keep up the good work. You're going to make it. Are they still on, like, a mandate? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, the EU's vaccination rates are still pretty behind Ah. because of the slowness of the rollout. So, I think it's taken a while. But anyway, enough about that. Mm-hmm. How is everything? <laughs> you know, good. I mean, it's rolling along. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. All right. Well, let's do this show thing. This show thing. Uh, if I can remember how that works. All right. Right. So this is a reading recommendation show, like I said, which means that you can send in your questions for reading recommendations. It can be for your book club or maybe there's a kind of book that you love right now that you're trying to find more of. Or maybe you need a recommendation for a family member or a friend or a traveler or whatever. Uh, send those in. You can do that either via email getbooked at bookriot.com or there's a form on the show notes on the site uh, for every episode you can drop your questions in there if you're hoping to hear back by a certain date like it's for a birthday or something please put time sensitive all caps either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form and then when you're hoping to hear back by and we will do our best if we're not going to get to it on air we might send you an email response so keep an eye out for those also, we are now only eight episodes away from episode 300, uh-huh. Just Hands. Uh-huh. And <laughs> y'all have been really good about sending in AMA questions for us. So we appreciate that. Keep those coming in. Just please also note that these are for episode 300 as opposed to the regular show when you send them in. But I know we have a bunch, right? We do. Yeah. We might have to do two episodes. We might have to do two. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, same. Yeah, NBD. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's see. Uh, feedback. We have some. Jessica writes, for the person wanting an Outlander read-alike, the All Souls trilogy might scratch that itch. There is a quick marriage that society does not approve of, and lots of time travel. The books are pretty long, so the character and world building are great. That is a spot-on recommendation. I can co-sign that one. Uh, and then from JL, for Nostalgic Adult from June 17th, you might like the Will Darling trilogy by K.J. Charles. It's inspired by 1920s pulp thrillers, and all three books follow the same male-male romance. Extremely cosign. I read the, I read the, <laughs> have you read those? 
No. Oh my gosh. I read the first one on vacation and it's it's like world post immediately post World War One and the main character like is a World War One veteran in England. He inherits a bookstore and then gets embroiled in all these like golden age pulpy espionage conspiracies with like another dude he mm. falls in love with who is an upper class British spy. It is delicious. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, let us do our first question and then our first sponsor. All right. Question run is from Sophia, who says, I loved In the Quick by Kate Hope Day, which put me in the mood for more realistic sci-fi reads. I'm already making my way through the Andy Weir and Becky Chambers books and loved Hank Green's duology, but don't know where to go next. I'm looking for something that's a bit more grounded, say more interstellar slash arrival rather than Star Trek or Star Wars. Any advice on what to read next is much appreciated. Let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now, to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, space, but not, but also mm. space, but also not. Um, I will continue. I picked The Wanderers by Meg Howry, which is more in the vein of that interstellar slash arrival. Are there aliens? We don't know. We're just going to Mars. Who knows? Big shrug kind of a thing. Very Andy Weir. So this takes place in the very near future. Prime Space is a privati <laughs> privatized space company. I guess maybe not the near future, maybe like now. Yeah. That is putting the first humans on Mars. And they've selected their crew it's three crew members, and in order to prepare for this, you know, super, super long journey, it's over a year, almost two years, they are putting the three crew members in a 17-month stimulation to prepare them for, you know, the whole thing. 
the isolation, being stuck with three people in a like tin can for months and months, not being able to leave all of that. And they're also going to run them through different um, obstacles, accidents, break stuff, you know, just all throw all the things at these astronauts. The It's a very character driven book. So Helen is one of the astronauts who's going to Mars. She is retired from NASA and has been recruited to go on this mission. And then there's Sergei who um, w- wants to like well, you learn all of the reasons for wanting to go into space. And then Yoshi is the third person. Their interpersonal relationships are really fascinating. They all have different specialties. But Sergei starts to sense that maybe they are not in a stimulation. Maybe they are actually being sent. And they were lied to and told that they were in a simulation so that they wouldn't freak out. And so that they wouldn't like crumble under the pressure. And so that they would be, you know, like be more relaxed and respond to the obstacles in a more fluid kind of way. And so he's trying to convince the other crew members that maybe that's what's going on. And while all of that is happening, you bounce back and forth between their three families and, you know, like what happens to the people who are left behind when their family members are gone on this, you know, mission for humanity, no, no, NBD. Like, what is that like to be a kid of a person who is doing that? And it's it's such a great character-driven, really, really grounded sci-fi novel. So that's The Wanderers by Meg Howery. Yeah, that was my first thought also. Mm. But then you took it already. Sorry. So I was like, okay, I'll pick something it's else. Always, I make the agenda, <laughs> so I always pick before Jen gets around to it. <laughs> <laughs> so my pick for you, I feel good about this pick, though. It's Famous Men Who Never Lived by Kay Chess. Uh, I will give content warnings for assault and bigotry, although they're not going to show up much in the description here. But this is this is not space. This is parallel timelines. The sort of crux of this book is that Hell, uh, short for Helen, if I recall correctly, is from an alternate timeline in which, like, everything is doomed and, you know, crumbling to pieces and humanity is going to die and get wiped out. And somebody discovers a way to send people through to an alternate New York City where everything is not doomed. And so they manage to send, like, a couple hundred people or maybe it's a couple thousand yeah they they, but it's not like a ton but it's enough so they send some people through and they are only able to get a certain number of people out and they they arrive in this alternate new york city which is understandably like question mark like okay like you're here from another timeline what do we do with you like do you also already exist in this world? Like, how do you get housing? Like, and also because these are alternate timelines, like the history of the United States has not been the same. Art is different. Like the touch points is different. Symbols mean different things. So how do you integrate a population of people who have like wildly diverged experiences from yours into your city? So it's very much about like being a refugee and, you know, how do you deal with that except that it's parallel dimensions instead of different countries. And Helen is obsessed with this book that is one of the few th- like objects that made it through with these refugees and like figuring out why it doesn't exist in this world, why it only existed in her old world. And that like turns into this whole mystery and it's really fascinating and tangly and cool. And it's very well written. The characters are great. And it is just such an interesting like, yeah, what would that look like? And also, interestingly, this New York that they're in is not quite the same as ours either, like our real world one. So where are these differences? And like, I think KHS really has fun playing with, you know, what if this thing didn't happen quite that way? How would that change everything else around it? And so, yeah, it's like twisty and interesting and really juicy character wise. And I think it's going to give you those same vibes uh, just with less space. 
So again, that's Famous Men Who Never Lived by KHS. All right, our next question is from Jessica. This is the first time we've had a Night Circus question in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jessica writes, I read The Night Circus and obviously fell in love. I also read The Life She Was Given and loved it. I'm currently listening to The Greatest Showman on repeat. Clearly, I'm on a circus kick. What circus books do you have? I also read Water for Elephants and was kind of eh about it. Only fiction, please, and no short stories or graphic novels. Amanda, what is your circus recommendation? I feel like the circus is having a moment again. Do you? I do. It's like I I keep seeing, you know, an Edelweiss new circus, like Mm. mostly in YA. Okay, so I picked The Circus Rose by Betsy Cornwell, which is a queer YA retelling of Snow White and Rose Red set in a circus family. So Rosie and Ivory are twins. I bet you can guess which one is supposed to be Snow White and which one is Rose Red. Uh, (laughs) Rosie and Ivory are twins. Their mother is the ringmaster of a circus, and they have spent years on the road traveling with the circus. It is their family. And after years of doing that, they're going back to their hometown, which is called Port End. And this is kind of like, in as much as a traveling circus family has a hometown, this is the place that they would call home. But once they get back, they realize that something is super different about their hometown. Religious fundamentalists are everywhere. They're papering the walls. There are preachers all over the place warning about doom and gloom and blah, 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 you know. You know what they're warning about. So the circus is like trying to exist while all of this is happening. They want to make a really big homecoming show, you know, lights and spectacle and make people like kind of bring the energy up, up the vibration to something a little more positive, considering everything that's going on outside of the circus tent walls. But during Rosie's tightrope act, something really terrible happens. And then Ivory has to... With the help of, like, a giant dancing bear, which I absolutely love. You know, Water for Elephants at Elephants. This one has bears. Ivory has to kind of pick up the pieces and track down this, like, really evil priest and save her family after this big disaster of of the tightrope and everything that comes after it. So in a very similar, like, similar to the Night Circus, the Night Circus is obviously, there's a story, but you're really here for, like, the atmosphere of the Night Circus. That's the thing that everybody really loves about that book. Not so much the like characters, but the the living in the actual circus. And I think that's a f- really similar vibe to what's going on with the Circus Rose, where the atmosphere of the circus is super, super high. So if you took the Night Circus and made it about sisters instead of lovers and then added in a whole bunch of social justice and some religious extremists, you would get this book. So that's The Circus Rose by Betsy Cornwell. Yeah, it's true. The Night Circus is very atmospheric mm-hmm. uh as is all of those circusy books i picked it i actually also picked a ya and you know i think it's worth saying the way the night circus is not ya mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like it's a crossover book um that's very appealing to teenagers as well as adults but there is a lot more circus that's like fantastical in ya generally speaking than an adult i don't know why that is Anyway, my pick is The Weight of Feathers by Anna Marie Macklemore, which I love. It's sort of like contemporary Romeo and Juliet, but it's circus families and it's like scrappy. They're not well off. So it's very like there's interesting class stuff in here, too. Uh, It's extremely juicy. Lots of good stuff going on. Quick content warnings. There is child abuse on the page and also a mention of rape. So these two families, the Palomas and the Corbos, are have been rivals for like 20 years. It's a generation-long feud. And they are both traveling performers, and they compete with each other to, like, you know, get money and attention from the various towns that they appear in. And the Palomas do mermaid exhibitions, and the Corbos are, like, tightrope tallest tree sort of, you know, acrobatics workers. And there is some... 
there's like a thread of supernatural like yeah, are they magic question mark <laughs> uh, that I'm not going to get too much into because it's really fun to discover as you move through the story but it is like sort of that like fabulous you know uh, magical realism stuff it's very very cool and so Lace is our main character. She is in the Paloma family. Um, she's like struggling to prove herself, you know, in that classic sort of coming of age way. And she's been taught all her life that like going anywhere near the Corbeaux is like, you don't want to do it. They are black magic. You could die if you touch one. Like that's how extreme this feud is. But a disaster happens where in a small town where both families happen to be and a corbo boy named cluck saves her life and so of course one thing comes after another and it is so it is so atmospheric it's like darker i want to say than the night circus although there are a lot of dark bits of the night circus but they kind of get like glossed over a little bit with how magical that story is. And this one leans a little bit more into the dark parts in a really good and interesting way. And I just, I think you will really dig the feeling of it again. It's like, you're going to want to spend time with these families and you're going to want to see like, what is the deal with this feud and how is it going to unravel and what's going to happen to these two characters and it's good stuff. Uh, So again, that's The Weight of Feathers by Anna Marie McLemore. All right, question three is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for something creepy, but not scary. Think Stranger Things, Tim Burton, and Beetlejuice. I've read The Girl with All the Gifts and The Fireman. I'm a scaredy cat and hate scary, but I love creepy. Hopefully that difference makes sense. Um, It does. We are, I mean, you come sit by us on the the creepy, not scary couch. What I, that, man? That doesn't rhyme. We have uh, at work. We have uh, rhyming names for the 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 couch you sit on when you're grumpy. We call it the grouch couch, right? Or the rant raft. So no, I want the scary, creepy but not scary couch to have a thing. Anyway, that was a digression. <laughs> so creepy but not scary. I picked Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia, which has trigger warnings for racism, domestic violence, and a lot of harm to children. Um. So I hadn't figured this out until I read this question, but I feel like Mexican Gothic does have kind of Tim Burton vibes. Um, like. That exact creepy but not scary, moody, but like I'm not going to have nightmares uh, kind of thing that Tim Burton has. So this takes place in mid-century Mexico City, and it is about a, what's the word, socialite named Noemi. And she's called into her father's office, and her dad is like, I need you to go to this tiny little nonsense town where no one lives in the mountains and check on your cousin. Her cousin recently married someone and like they moved off to his family's home high, high, high in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And she started writing letters back to the family that are questionable. Like she sounds like she's losing her mind. She talks about being really ill. Um, They're not hearing anything from the husband. Nobody knows what's going on. So Noemi is like, that sounds like a you problem for like you to figure out. I am deeply uninterested in that option. And he says, well, if you go, I will let you go to college. She's like, boom. Yes, this is great. I've always wanted to go to the mountains in my fancy dresses so she goes um and when she gets to this house it's very poe like you know what's that story the the house that falls down with the twins the fall of the house of usher yes it's very fall of the house of usher like everything is falling apart the creepy family that lives there is like very obviously somehow connected to this house that is falling apart because they are also falling apart and she finds her cousin and her cousin is like something's not right maybe they are saying that she has tuberculosis but it doesn't make any sense noemi starts hallucinating all of her interactions with the family are like weird and loaded her cousin's husband is very creepy and strange and so she's just in this house right trying to get her cousin out and then everything kind of devolves from there and it is so 
creepy and weird and like mushrooms everywhere. I'm not going to explain the mushrooms, but the mu- I have not had mushrooms since I read this book. I will say that. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. I've been like, mm, better not. So that is Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. You never know with the mushrooms. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, this distinction absolutely makes sense. And I am recommending to you Area X, the Southern Reach Trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, which is the strangest mm-hmm. It's it is just the strangest. So it is about an area called Area X. Surprise. Uh, that is unlike the Everglades in Florida. And it has been cut off from the rest of the world by this like strange sort of force field situation. And it's like, is it? aliens what has happened here and like the animals are weird and nobody knows what's going on and there is this you know scientific foundation that is trying to figure out like yeah what exactly is going on and so they're sending in expeditions and bad bad things are happening to those expeditions like people are not making it out if they do make it out they never recover and die soon after and like in all kinds of terrible ways like it's very very bad And so we are introduced in Annihilation, the first book, to the 12th expedition, which is four women of different specialties. So an anthropologist, a surveyor, a psychologist, and a biologist. And they're supposed to go in and, like, yeah, collect specimens, you know, do science-y things, and try to avoid being contaminated. So they have all this equipment. And, of course, you know, they go in and everything goes wrong and they start to find out that, like, maybe... They have not been told the full story by the ones who sent them in, and everything unrolls from there. And it is so strange (laughs) and creepy. There is also a lot of fungus uh, involved and weird animals and, like, strange things, just the strangest of things. And it is extremely tense and sometimes in really quiet ways. Like, a lot of the second book takes place in an office and, like, there's a horrifying, like, houseplant situation that you're like, how is a houseplant horrifying? And yet, somehow, Jeff Vandermeer manages it. And I think it is exactly the vibe you're looking for. It's really weird. It's really good. One of these days, I'm going to have to reread it. But again, that's the Area X Southern Reach Trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I really love the Chronicles of St. Mary's series by Jody Taylor, uh, both for the exploration of historical events that cover the big names and those who are not remembered and the writing style. The only way I've been able to come up with to describe it is that these books read like an episode of Match Watches, and I love it. My only problem is that it is so Eurocentric. Uh, I spend a lot of time watching East Asian dramas, including historical ones, and I realized recently that apart from a brief historical reference check when watching something, I don't dig deeper into these time periods. Do you have any recommendations for Chinese, Korean, or Japanese historical fiction that explore history in a similar way? And then there's like a bunch more of stuff that I'm not going to read on air because I've already read and mangled (laughs) quite a lot of that question. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. Thank you for asking this question. I just read a book that I think is great and perfect for you. It is She Who Becomes the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. And I will say, okay, quick note, there was a request in amongst all of the other stuff for nothing too explicit sexually on the page. I will say there is one explicit sex scene in here, but you can just like skip that. And the rest of the book is like perfect for you. Mm. So this is a 
sweeping historical epic that is inspired by the Ming Dynasty period in China's history. And it is like both historical fiction with a touch of speculative, like ghosts play a huge role. Um, It's the first in a series. Cannot wait for the next book in this to come out in like a year. I'm so sad about that. (laughs) But so yes, so it starts in the 1300s when China is under the rule of the Mongolian Genghis Khan, etc. And there is a peasant girl who is starving uh, along with the rest of her family. And her whole family dies in a bandit attack. But her brother, prior to this, had been told by like a local oracle that he was destined for great things. So she's, you know what? He is dead. I'm going to take his destiny. I will be Zhu Changba and I will do great things. And that is the end. Like she just she has her force of will is amazing. And so she takes her brother's identity. She goes into a monastery to serve as like for all intents and purposes, a young male novice and does whatever it takes to try to figure out how to achieve this great destiny. And it is Oh, so good. There's so much that happens. There's so many amazing characters. You hear from, like, you know, these very sidelined, you know, queer characters, gender questioning characters, and also from people on different sides of the historical things. You get this very 360 view. And another thing that I just have to shout out about this book is that it really dives into the way that a gender binary, like male-female setup, just poisons everyone involved. Like everyone is damaged by this setup. And and it really illustrates the ways in which that happens. And I just think it's so well done and also like feels very appropriate for the time period that it's set in in a very interesting way. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to feel modern to pick apart this kind of issue. That is something that is very like a modern concern. But it's always been, it's always been a concern, Mm. always been, had an impact on people. And I think that Parker Chan really digs into that in a very interesting way, along with serving up like an amazing historical epic. So again, that is She Who Became the Sun. It's the first in the Radiant Emperor series by Shelley Parker Chan. Okay, I picked The Silence of Bones by June Hur, which is a fascinating YA mystery that takes place in 1800 in Korea. So it is about a orphan, an orphan named Seal, um, who is 16, and she has been indentured to the police bureau. And she, like, this normally consists of, you know, scrubbing floors and getting meals for the police officers and doing various and sundry really boring kind of tasks. But then she gets tasked with assisting a young inspector who is like up and coming and very well respected with investigating the murder of a young noblewoman. This is a super politically charged murder. And this girl, our main character, is asked to help because the men on the police force can't touch the body because it is a woman and cultural norms at the time prohibit that kind of interaction. So she comes along to like literally carry the dead body out of from which from where it is found, help them examine it, help them do the autopsy kind of thing, like all of that sort of stuff she has to be there for. She travels with the inspector when he goes to interview the victim's family, you know, as like a female escort, not escort, what's the word, chaperone, and all that kind of stuff. So while she's doing all of this work, which she is like secretly very good at, like she's very detail oriented, she has a, a great eye for noticing things that other people miss. She starts forming kind of a friendship with this inspector until he becomes the prime suspect for reasons which are, of course, outlined in the book because that how books, that's how books work. And so she becomes kind of the only person who has interacted long term both with the police officer and with the details of the case. 
So she is the really kind of the only person left who can figure out what actually happened here. But in 1800 in Korea, a 16 year old girl running around by herself asking questions is like a great way to get thrown in jail or murdered in the street. So she has to be very, very careful about how she handles this moving forward. So I really, really, I love this book so much. It's a, you know, it's a great mystery. The main character is amazing, but it's also a really fascinating look at something kind of that would never have occurred to me to write a book about, which is like policing in any country in 1800. That just is a, like the idea of modern police forces is, you know, modern. It's, it's a completely kind of new post-industrial revolution concept, but also has roots in established ways of doing things, including in Korea in 1800. So yeah, so go check that out. That's The Silence of Bones by June Her. It's time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, question five is from Melissa, who says, um, my friend's mother and I both love Poldark, and I've been reading through the books and passing them along. I love the historical romance, the love, betrayal, and the several plot lines twisting into one. I also loved Indigo by Beverly Jenkins, but I crave the mixed plot lines instead of a straightforward romance. It would be fun to read something like this for the end of summer and the fall. Do you have any recommendations? Okay, Jen, what's your so you took the Loyal League series. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should let you pick from. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. I As long as somebody is recommending them, I'm, ha- I'm happy. Uh, so I went a different direction. I am giving you The Winter Sea by Susanna Kearsley, which is the first in a Slanes duo, I guess. Slans? Slans? I don't know how to say it. It's, uh, it's a Scottish duo of books. 
And anyway, I think you will like this because while this has both a contemporary and historical plotline, which the books you referenced do not, it absolutely has historical romance, love, betrayal, and plotlines twisting into one. So I think it's going to work for you in those regards. I will give a content warning for attempted rape. So the plot of this is that there is this modern historical fiction writer, (laughs) how meta, who is trying to figure out what her next book is going to be about. And she's become obsessed with this attempt to land uh, James Stewart in Scotland in 1708 to, like, reclaim the throne of England. And she's like, it's 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 sort of overlooked in history. She's digging into the records, trying to figure out like what happened and why it failed and how it impacted the further, you know, attempts to uh, overthrow the 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 English dynasty at the time and, and replace the Stuarts on the throne. And then she like is, you know, traveling around Scotland, visiting the places she's going to write about, trying to find inspiration because she's a little stuck. And she starts to have these like dreams and sort of almost visions like her characters are like talking to her and she's like la 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 this is like great inspiration I'm just gonna write this stuff down and then she starts to find historical documents that suggest that like she's not making things up Mm. like perhaps she's actually receiving somehow historical data from the beyond like what and you go back and forth between her sort of exploring the area and like having her own romance and interactions with her quote-unquote writing the book and you go back in time to those characters and Kearsley has clearly done tons of research and almost all of the characters in the books are real and like in the author's note at the end you find out like you know tried to stick to details wherever possible blah 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 she tells you exactly who she made up and who she didn't and so you get like all of that juicy historical stuff plus some romance plus some contemporary mixed in and it's a very like twisty, turny, fun, uh, enjoyable reading experience. So again, that is The Winter Sea by Susanna Kearsley. Okay, so as Jen said, I picked the Loyal League series by Alyssa Cole. Um, this is a series of, oh, is there four? I actually... I believe remember. there are four. Um, I'm looking... Three. There are three. No, three? Yeah, an Unconditional Freedom was the last one. Oh, right. I think we just wanted four. I, well, maybe so. <laughs> I, in my head, I was probably like, she's working on a fourth one, right? Or maybe she's working on a right. fifth one. Maybe she's going to write them until she dies. Alyssa, call me. <laughs> I have questions. So the first book is An Extraordinary Union. And all of the books in, these seri- in this series take place during the Civil War. And they all, each one features a different character who is a member of the Loyal League. And these are, uh, it's like a spy ring that is working for the Union. So in the first book, Elle is the main character. And she is a former enslaved person who has an eidetic memory. She lives in Massachusetts now. And she has joined the Loyal League while in Massachusetts. And as a spy, she's been sent to back to the South uh, undercover, uh, working as or pretending to be an enslaved person. And so she's working in a Confederate general, I think he's a general's house in Richmond, you know, listening and collecting information and all of that. And she's given a mission to connect with another uh, spy, a, a Pinkerton, <laughs> a member of the Secret Service, or that will, will one day become the FBI. She's given the task to connect with a member of the Secret Service who is also undercover in the area to, you know, carry out a couple of missions. And this turns out to be a man named Malcolm, who is an immigrant from Scotland, who she immediately dislikes for a variety of reasons. And he does not immediately dislike her. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. But they have to go off and do all of these, you know, there's espionage, there's many political shenanigans. Their relationship is complicated, obviously. She is black, he is white, and from Scotland. There is much romance. And so you said you liked the mixed plot lines. And... 
this doesn't necessarily have mixed plot lines within each individual book in the trilogy, but each book is a mixed plot line in this universe, if that makes sense. So like main characters from book one will show up in book two with secondary characters. This is pretty common in romance series. So if you read the, the you know, the Beverly Jenkins, a lot of her books operate that same way. A lot of romance series operate that way. So you'll get mixed plot lines and you'll get to revisit characters from previous books as you go along. And yeah, I am like have extra love for this because the first one takes place in Richmond where I live. Go read it. Okay, so that's An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. All right. Our next question is from Andrea, who says, This request is for a friend of mine. She reads a lot of fantasy novels and was telling me about a series she finished recently called Ember of Ashes. uh, Ember in the Ashes, which is probably what that was, Mm -hmm. uh, that she really, really enjoyed. The problem is that now she's trying to find something similar that is as good or better than this series. I told her about your podcast and I'd ask y'all for some recommendations. So it's hard to know. How if she's already read my recommendation, Mm -hmm. but just in case she hasn't, I picked The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adier because obviously like it's it is it is exactly what she is looking for. It's great. This is a sort of reworking of the story of Scheherazade from A Thousand and One Nights. Uh, the, like, king, who is a caliph, um, who's 18, is, you know, a monster every night. He has a new bride and then strangles her in the morning. And the heroine, Sharzad, her best friend is, like, taken to be one of these murdered wives. And so Sharzad is like, you know what? I'm going to finish this. <laughs> I am. You, send me in, coach. Like, I will take this monster down because nobody else is doing anything about it. And I am not going to, like, let this stand anymore. So she, like the original story, she, like, tells these stories that, you know, manages to draw it out um, and try to figure out in the whole, you know, as she's going along how to kill him. Like, there's always guards and it's very complicated and they search her. So she's like, it's hard to smuggle in a weapon. Like, how is she going to do it? Um, And how can she, like, give herself enough time to figure it out? And then she starts falling for him, which is, like, problematic in so many ways. Uh, And it's got a lot of the, like, twisty, who to trust, who is it okay to fall for, complicated, like, love triangle feelings that Ember in the Ashes has, plus all of the action, like, super intense action sequences. It's the first in a series, so there's more if she likes it, which she's gonna. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's my pitch for The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adier. So for those of you who haven't read Ember in the Ashes, it's a YA fantasy that's very heavily militarized. Like it takes place within a rebel faction and a military faction. The first book is almost entirely in a military academy. So for that reason, I picked The Shadow and Bone by Leigh Bardugo, which is a trilogy. And I don't, you know, is like on Netflix now. So how much explaining of this do you really need? Probably not a lot. (laughs) But for those of you who somehow have missed the memo on Shadow and Bone, it's a fantasy series that is based on like on Russia. Kind of, very loosely. Um, And the main character's name is Alana. She is an orphan. Why are they all orphans? (laughs) All the YA novels I'm recommending today. Because parents interfere. You can't have parents around. Yes, you can't get in a terrible, dangerous political adventure when your parents are like, could you not? (laughs) Right. So Alina is an uh, an orphan. Her and her best friend Mal are members of the, the military in this country that they live in called Ravka. And their country is split in half by something called the Fold, which is a black, smoky wall, essentially, that separates one east and west Ravka. And in the Fold are all of these monsters that, like, if you try to cross from one side to the other, you're definitely going to get eaten. But part of their service in the military involves crossing, <laughs> doing that exact thing, crossing the Fold and trying not to get eaten, uh, to, like, bring supplies back and forth and whatnot. 
While they are on this mission to cross the fold, they are attacked by the monsters in it. And Alina, to save her best friend, um, discovers that she is a, what do they call it? A sun seek light bringer. Something. She has the ability to like project light out of her body, which of course in something called the fold, which is made of shadows, is quite useful. And then she becomes like this mythological figure in her country that people call her a saint. But what she in reality is, is a member of the, th- is it the third army? I don't remember which one it is. There are various sections of the army. You know, like in the U.S., we have the Marines and the Navy and the whatever. Um, in this country, they have different sections of the armed forces. And one of the armies consists of people who have the ability to do this kind of thing. The ability to, like, make weather happen or create new fabrics or metals or manipulate your the piece, different parts of your body. Um, and she has this ability to bring light. And so she joins this army. And political intrigue, various and sundry, comes forth out of that i really do love the netflix series even though it mashes up shadow and bone in a different series that lee bardugo wrote um called six of crows but it's quite enjoyable and great fun so if your friend likes the shadow and bone series she should go watch the show so yeah all right last question is from carolyn who says growing up i was a huge fan of gilmore girls even nowadays that i'm not worries but lorelei's age Ooh, that's relatable i still admire the show for its wit and humor its rapid dialogue pop culture and other references It's strong female characters, bookishness, and appreciation for knowledge and being out in the world. That being said, can you think of a book or books that have a similar feel and manage to have both intellectual depth and wit? Strong female characters and a contemporary setting are a plus. I've recently enjoyed The Female Persuasion, Everything by Celeste Ng, and the memoirs of Michelle Obama, Lisa Brennan-Jobs, and Tara Westover. Okay, Jen, you go. I'm tired. All right. So I'm giving you one from my TBR pile that came up repeatedly while I was researching this question. Uh, But my library hole just hasn't come in yet, but it seems like a great fit for both of us. It's The Marvelous Mirza Girls by Sheba Karam. And this is very much like a mother-daughter story. Uh, Noreen, our main character, is uh, has graduated for her senior year, but she, they've lost her aunt Sonia. And so she and her mom are going to go on this gap year trip to New Delhi and hope that like she can sort of refine her spark traveling around India with her mom, who she's very close with. And then, you know, she goes, she meets a guy and like there's, you know, Bollywood celebrities and historical ruins and all kinds of like cultural interactions. Um, And she's trying to like, you know, okay, like, all right, I'm getting some of my my joy back. Uh, But then there is a family scandal and, you know, other things come and happen and they have to deal with them. And it has all of these like very, right, Gilmore Girlsy elements. Like you have a close mother-daughter, you have some romance, you have, you know, complicated, complicated family interactions, um, plus all of that like discovering sort of coming-of-age juicy stuff that that Rory experiences in particular in Gilmore Girls. So I can't wait for this book to come in. Seems very good. And if you get yours before me, let me know how it goes. <laughs> it's The Marvelous Mirza Girls by Sheba Karam. I picked The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman, which is very high millennial smart angst, which is like a big Gilmore Girls vibe, I feel like. Um, Nina is an only child, and her mother and her have a complicated but close relationship, which also feels very Gilmore Girls-y. Her mom is a famous photographer who was not around when she was a child. She was mostly raised by a nanny. So at this point, they're more like friends, you know, uh, than mother-daughter. And Nina works at a bookstore. She has a lot of Rory stuff going on. She's super well-read. Obviously, she works at a bookstore. Um, She's, like, obsessed with trivia. She has a cat. 
Um, she's really good at bullet journaling, you know, all that kind of stuff. And which I also feel like Rory would be good at if she had like seen that if she had seen that <laughs> video in college of the bullet journal, she'd be like super into it. And then she gets a call or no, a lawyer comes to her workplace in the bookstore and is like, hey, um, just so you know, your father's died. And she's like, my who did what now? I did not know that I had one. I mean, she knows that she knows that she had one because of biology, but like didn't know anything about him. Her mom never talked about him. She never really cared or, or like bothered to ask. But her father has died. He's super wealthy, has left her a bunch of money, but also he had many ex-wives and like a lot of kids. So not only does she suddenly have money, she's also got a huge extended family. So she calls her mom and is like, why did you tell me none of this? And her mom is like, shrug, you know, <laughs> I have no answers for you um, that aren't dismissive um so she goes to meet some of her family some of them are like very excited to meet her some of them not so much mostly because she's gotten you know a good chunk of change out of the inheritance and she kind of has to figure out what she wants to do so like very complicated family dynamics also has that kind of missing dad what's going on with that side of family thing that gilmore girls has up until the later seasons but it's mostly the vibe here like the bookishness there's a lot of intellectuals there's a lot of banter and a lot of wit that i think will scratch that particular itch so that is the bookish life of nina hill by abby waxman and that's our show. <laughs> Thanks to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for cleaning up all of the dog barking mm-hmm. and sneezing <laughs> and whatnot that happened in this episode. Thank you all for listening, as always. We super appreciate that. If you need more book recommendations, you can have them over at bookriot.com. We also have a bunch of other podcasts you can find at bookriot.com slash listen if you need more of that. If you would be so kind as to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it, even though Apple Podcasts is being a jerk lately. Mm -hmm. Uh, And thanks also go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. You can find us on social media in between shows. I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. Amanda, where are you at? In dog barking hell. He just won't stop. I don't know. Uh, See? There it is again. He's barking at something in the backyard that doesn't exist. He just sees things. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. It's mostly videos of my dog barking now that I'm being honest. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's a mood. It's a mood. And that's our show. We will talk to you next time. 